In Christ we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conforming with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the Lord of our The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty, the power That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Peace be with you. Great to see you. Welcome to Trinity. Uh, I want to take a moment and pray, and then we will dive in to the power of God. So pray with me. Father God, we... With joy come before you this morning, acknowledging that you are the one true power in the universe. You are all-powerful. You are sovereign. You are omnipotent. And so we come seeking to know you better. We come seeking to become more aware of this power in the world, in our lives. Um, We pray that you would open our eyes. Uh, to see you as you are. Would you heal us? Would you forgive us? Would you guide us? Would you, would you lead us in all of your ways? Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for who you are and uh, that you came. You came to, to save us, to rescue us, redeem us. Uh, that you didn't leave us on, on our own even when we were far from God, even when we moved away from you, you came after us still. And so, Lord Jesus, we know and we confess that you are the true and living word of God, and so as we open your written word, would you reveal yourself to us and make us more like you? We desire and we, we long to be made like you, Lord Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we know and we acknowledge that you are the one who opens our eyes to this word to the Father and to the Son, and so, Spirit of God, would you do a, a big and a deep work in our hearts this morning. Spirit of God, we acknowledge that you are here, you are among us, you are within us, you are always here and among us and within us, but we 
acknowledge that we are often uh, just not aware of you, not, not tuned in and, and, and listening for your voice. And so even though you're, you're already here, we, we pray that we might become more aware of your presence. And so we pray, uh, Spirit, would you join us in the fullness of your presence that we might experience you deeply. And by knowing you, that we would know the Father and the Son. And so, God, three in one, would you be with us this morning in our weakness, in our need, our frailty, our brokenness, our sin? Would you be far greater than all of these things? Would you be far more powerful? Would you show us through the, the ways you've worked in, in the world, through uh, the scriptures, through the, the history of this redemption? Would you show us what you are like so that we can know what, what you are like right now, what we can expect from you even now. And so, Father, fill this space, fill our minds, fill our hearts, fill our bodies. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we are looking at the power of God as we continue looking at the, the many attributes of God, things that are, are true of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is his character. And as, as we think about God's power, we recognize that that our, our world is, uh, is totally different in, in how we, we, than, than we are when we look at things. So our, our world looks and, and believes in what it can see, which, which makes sense. You believe in, in what you can see. And yet we as Christians believe that the greatest power in the world, the, the greatest things in the world, love, mercy, meaning, satisfaction, all of those things are totally invisible. And so as, as we come to the power of God, we, we start from this, this place of the greatest power in the world, the things that, that give our lives uh, all of this meaning and direction, it's, it's invisible. Our, our lives are based on something that we, we cannot see, and it's even hard to describe to other people, especially those outside the faith, what it is that we, we believe in and why we hold it so strongly. And power is a tough topic, especially compared to God's love and his mercy and his goodness and his faithfulness because power is something that's been incredibly abused in our world. Since the beginning of time, power has been misused and abused by, by us, by, by human beings, finite people who, who are striving for power, hungry for power, and then that power corrupts us. And so when we approach God's power, it's, it's, it's natural to even ask, is God's power a good thing? Is it good that God is powerful, that he's all-powerful, that he has all the power in the universe? Is it good news for us that he's powerful? And then if we say that he is all-powerful, I think sometimes we also wonder, is God's power greater than the power of the world? The forces of, of darkness in the, in the world, the brokenness of the world that, that has come into it through uh, the sins of mankind. Is God's power really greater than the powers of this world? And to think about it more, more personally, is God's power big enough to, to heal my past, to, to, to bind up my wounds, to change my heart, to give me security and, and hope in an insecure and a hopeless world? This morning, I'm wondering, is God's power big enough for a, a 10-hour road trip to Colorado with two kids that have a fever? Is God's power big enough for that? Goodness, I hope so. <laughs> We're going to find out. You're putting power to the test right after this. 
And so when we look at Ephesians 1 and, and these different scriptures, it's impossible to miss that God is powerful, that his power is good, that it's good news for us, and even that he has given this power to us. It's remarkable that the hidden invisible power that God has, has had within his being for all eternity is now given to us through the Holy Spirit for a life of faith and love. And so the two great prayers of, of the New Testament in, in this regard are that we would know God's power and that we would enjoy God's power, that, that we, would, we would live empowered by God and that that would lead us to an enjoyment of who God is. And so we'll start with knowing God's power. In verse 19, Paul prays uh, desperately that the church would know the incomparable power of God for us who believe. And if power is, is something that's true of God, if it's one of his attributes, then we should be able to look at not only our lives, but, but at all of human history and see God's power on display. And I think that's what Paul is doing in Ephesians 1, and he does it in, in Romans and a number of other of his letters to the church. He's reminding us to, to sort of look above our situation, look above the, the challenges and the trials that are right in front of us, and see how he has been working throughout all human history. So I want us to look at how, how has God revealed his power throughout the history of our redemption. First of all, God's power created all things. God's power created everything out of nothing. The Latin phrase is ex nihilo, meaning that he had nothing from which he created, but he simply created from nothing. So everything that we create, uh, all of the, the works of art, all the works of architecture, anything that we build out of, you know, Legos or whatever it is that we're building with, we're always starting with some kind of raw materials, right? And we, we bear this creative image of God, and yet we, we don't match God in this sense that we're creating out of nothing. We're always creating out of something, but God has created out of nothing. Psalm 95 says, For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it. Think about that. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. And so what Psalm 95 is telling us is that since God has made everything that exists in the cosmos, everything that exists in the cosmos belongs to him. So God's power has brought the entire universe into being out of nothing, and it all belongs to him. Every creature on earth, every star in the sky, every molecule in the ground, every cell in your body, every aspect of your life belongs to God because he created you. Earlier in Ephesians 1, Paul says he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to the praise of his glorious grace. And that phrase comes up in our passage as well, the praise of his glorious grace, that we exist for the praise and the glory of God. And even before creation, before the beginning of time, God chose us in love for this purpose, that we would live for his praise and for his glory. And so to know God as all-powerful creator is, is to submit to him, to recognize that we belong to him. And so first, God's power created all things, but second, his power is sovereign over all creation. If he's created everything, how, how does he relate to it? Does he sort of 
wind it up like a watchmaker and let it run, or is he still intimately connected to his world? And the doctrinal term for this is, is sovereignty, that God is, is sovereign over all that he's made, that he rules over all, that he's involved in all, that he interacts with all. He has complete control over everything he has made, and he's actively engaged in our world. Sovereignty is not a, a phrase or a word that we use a lot in our culture because we don't really have sovereigns. A, a sovereign is a ruler who had completely unchecked power. Within a, a certain territory or even within the entire world, a sovereign has complete authority. There's, there's no limit to the reign, at least within the boundaries that are established for him. So we don't have sovereigns in that sense today. The closest thing we have to it is uh, the U.S. Navy. So maybe you've heard before, the U.S. Navy is sovereign over the waters, which essentially means that our, our Navy can go anywhere in the world, any of the waters, and have authority and have power, which I'm not like a big military guy, but that's still pretty cool. So I think about the, you know, the super carriers. Have you seen these? There's only a handful of them in the world, but like the USS Eisenhower is roughly the size of our football stadium in town. It's totally mind-blowing. It can run for 25 years without refueling. So that means if you are in any body of water on the earth and the USS Eisenhower tells you to get out of the way, then it's like you move your sailboat, right? You, you keep on paddling your canoe. And that's, that's kind of the difference that, that exists between God and us when we're thinking about his sovereignty. It's like us in a little sailboat and then the U USS Eisenhower approaching us saying, this is actually our territory and you might want to move, you know? Like, it would be a little bit ridiculous to be like, no, I was here first. I called dibs. You're like, no, you get out of the way. And so God is, is sovereign, and that's, that's a very good thing for us. It's a good thing for us if God is, is true in all of his other attributes. If he's good, if he's loving, if he's graceful, merciful, if he is faithful, if he is wise. And so to know God is sovereign is to gladly dwell in his kingdom, to recognize that the entire earth, which is all, has all been made by him, it all belongs to him, he is sovereign over every single thing that exists. Now, what does it mean to live in God's kingdom? This is something we talked about uh, at length in our study of Matthew. You remember we said that God's kingdom confronts and subverts the kingdom of our world. And so to, to say that God is sovereign and to live in God's sovereign kingdom is to recognize that his kingdom is a subversive kingdom. And so it's not necessarily the power we might expect or the sovereignty that we might expect. It's, it's not a, a military type power or sovereignty, although it could be. And so the question is, where in all of human history is God revealed or demonstrated his power most fully? And that's the third thing, that God's power raised Jesus from the dead. And so if we pause here and, and think about some of the challenges in our life, whether it's going west across Kansas with sick kids that might be puking at any moment, or it's the challenges that you're facing at work, the grind of life that you felt this weekend, whatever those challenges are, if you step back a little bit, zoom out, and say God's power created the world, God's power is sovereign over all creation, God's power raised Jesus from the dead, what does this mean for my situation? In verse 19, Paul says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above every rule and authority, power and dominion, 
and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. I'll be drinking a lot of water this morning. I'm losing my voice. It says Ice Mountain, but I think once it's been in that shed for a year or so, it ceases to taste like Ice Mountain water. I don't know. And so there is one power in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a creating power. It's a sovereign power, and it's a resurrecting power. And we remember that just before this, Paul has written to encourage us, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you would know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance and in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And so Paul is saying, I'm, I'm praying for you, people of God, that you would understand in your daily, everyday life that you have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now dwelling in you. In Ephesians 3, Paul prays that we would know that this power has, has entered our inner being for a life of faith and love. And Romans 8 says this as well, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in us. And Paul is praying that we would recognize that the victory of the resurrection has already occurred and that it's been, it's been transferred to us. That victory belongs to us now. And so we're not looking forward to some future victory, but we're looking back on a past victory that is still in effect Eternal life has already become because Christ has been raised from the dead by the very power of God that now lives within each and every one of us. And so God's power raised Jesus from the dead. Fourth, God's power secures our redemption. Verse 13 says, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, and here's the phrase again, to the praise of his glory. And so our redemption is secured by the power of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the proof of this, this powerful redemption is a person. The proof that God gives us that, that we are redeemed, that we have been changed, that Christ's resurrection is for us, it's a person, the Holy Spirit. And here the Holy Spirit is called a deposit, a, a guarantee of a face-to-face -face life with God for all eternity. He's also called the seal. And this is the stamp of, of royalty, of, of God's image imprinted on our souls that we belong to him now. Fifth, God's power establishes the church. God in his power has raised Christ from the dead, redeemed us from darkness, and he has also placed us in an eternal fellowship of love and power. Verse 22 says, God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so God the Father in his, his selfless generosity has given his very own son that we might be restored from our sin, but also joined to Christ in this, this powerful and intimate and mysterious union that we have with Christ, who now has all things in heaven and earth underneath his feet. 
and it's his name, the, the name of Jesus, not just generally the name of God, because a lot of people just generally believe in the name of God, but the name of Jesus is the name that's elevated above all other names, all other gods, all over rulers, all other authorities, anywhere in the cosmos. The glory goes to Christ, and we are one with him. And we are placed in this body, this body of believers. Now, if you're like me, a, a body's not that impressive of a, of a thing, you know? Uh, a body's just sort of, it, it, it feels very functional. It's, it's hard to do life without a body. And to think that we are Christ's body. We are, we are the body that is, is joined to Christ as head. We are, we are the spouse that Christ has chosen to spend his life with. This, this ordinary body, this ordinary group of people. God has raised Jesus from the dead, restored us from the kingdom of darkness, and then placed us in this body, the church. And so it's God's power that establishes the church. It's not uh, churches, it's not denominations, it's not people, it's not pastors. It's God's power that establishes the church and sets us in it. The church is the gift that the Father gives to the Son. If you're a parent, you know what it's like to give your, your child a gift. You, you enjoy giving your child a gift. The only time I don't really enjoy giving my child a gift is, is if I don't know if I can really afford it. If you've ever felt like that, you're like, I really want to get them this thing, whatever it is, but it's kind of expensive, it's outside of our budget. But if I was like incredibly, eternally, beyond imagination wealthy as God is, then there's absolutely no limit to the gift that I would give to my kids, right? And if I knew they weren't going to become like rich, spoiled brats. If I knew that wasn't the case and I had all the riches of, of all of life, then I would give them incredible gifts. And so the gift that God has given to his son, when he could give the son anything in the entire universe, the entire cosmos, the gift that God the Father has chosen to give to God the Son is the church. Isn't that remarkable? This, this group of, of people, all of us and all of our flaws and, and all of our like just weird little things that we do that get on each other's nerves, the ways that we fail one another, we, we are the gift that God the Father has given to God the Son. And so God's power establishes the church. Number six, the last one, God's power will uphold the new creation. God's power is not just for this current age, and it's not just for the age that has already happened, but it's for the age to come. Verse 21, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And so God's power is for us for all eternity, establishing a new heavens and a new earth, a new creation, a new Columbia, a new Missouri, a new world where everything is as it should be, without the mark of sin, without pain, without hurt, without struggle, without suffering, and Christ is head over all. God establishes, God the Father establishes Christ as the head over all of it. Now in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that Christ at the end of the age turns that power back over to the Father. And so they're constantly in this relationship within God's being of sharing glory and love and power. So the question becomes, if we know the power of God, if we look across the history of redemption and see God having revealed his great power to us in these, these six ways, creation, sovereign rule, resurrection, redemption, the church, new creation, all of this power, 
What does it mean for us right now? I think the second prayer of the New Testament is that we would, that we would need God's power, that we, would, that we would receive his power, that we would enjoy his power, that it wouldn't just be something that we, we know about, but it's something that we know intimately, the way that we, we know another person, the way that we, we enjoy somebody's presence. That's the way God wants us to know and enjoy his power. And so we've already said that God's power means that we belong to him. Everything about God's power suggests that we are his. He's made the world and he's made us. He's saved us from our sin, not because of anything we've done, but because of his grace and mercy. And so twice over, we belong to God. Through, through creation and through redemption, we belong to God. There's a, a great book that I've, I've mentioned a couple times in this series by J.I. Packer, Knowing God. And he says this, In saving us, God went to the limit. What more could he have given for us? What more had he to give? If you are a Christian, you know that you too are being claimed in the same way. God did not spare his son, but delivered him up for you. Christ loved you and gave himself up for you to save you out of the spiritual Egypt of bondage to sin and Satan. The claim rests on both the right of creation and redemption. You know what kind of life it is that Christ calls you as his disciple to live. His own example and teaching in the Gospels make it abundantly clear. You are called to follow Christ, carrying your cross. And so we belong to God, and that means that we are no longer our own. We don't belong to ourselves. We don't even just belong to one another. We don't belong to the approval of others. We don't belong to, to fear and to, to insecurity. We don't belong to the organizations that we work for. We don't belong to the nation that we live in. We belong only to God. And then through God, we belong to one another. What this means is that if we belong in our entire beings to God, then everything God has given us belongs to him as well. All of our time, all of our energy, all of our resources, all of our, our intellect, everything that we have that, that makes us who we are and that we have the gift of owning, it's all God's. So God's power means that we belong to him, but it also means that we have a divine purpose. One of the great struggles of our world and of our lives, even as believers, is struggling. Do we have a purpose? Do we have meaning in this world? What is this all for? Why am I here? Why am I getting out of bed each and every morning? And to come back to the phrase again in verse 11 and 12, in Christ we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to put our hope in Christ, and here's the phrase, might be for the praise of his glory. We have a divine purpose, which is to live for the praise of the glory of God. And two things that I've been wondering this week, the first one is, is simply, why, why isn't Christianity more powerful in our midst? Why isn't Christianity more effective in the world? Why isn't it more effective in Colombia? Why aren't our, our, our churches, why isn't our faith more, more powerful in our own midst? But as soon as I ask that question, I realize the second question is far more difficult, which is why isn't 
why isn't my life more powerful? If all of this is true, if God's power has created the world, rules over the world, has raised Jesus from the dead, redeemed me from my sin, placed me in the church, it's a promise for new creation. And if this power exists in me now, why, why don't I see more of it in my life? And I think it's the same thing for the, the church at large, churches like ours, and then in my own life. The question that I have to ask is, have I constructed a life that just doesn't require that much of God's power? Have I established a life that's so safe and, and secure, it's so careful, that I could basically operate with or without the power of God on a daily basis? Could it be that I've constructed a life that just doesn't require God's power? In, in the book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer talks about the lives of the early Christians, which the early church wasn't perfect. You can, if you read you know, First and Second Corinthians, you're like, the early church had a ton of problems. But there were a few decades where the early church, especially those who had walked personally with Jesus and were still on earth, facing persecution in, in Jerusalem and throughout the Roman Empire, where they essentially turned the entire world upside down by their faith. And the only thing that they had that we don't have was just that personal interaction with Jesus. And we have it in a spiritual way. They had it physically in an embodied Jesus on earth. But it was their, their knowledge of Christ, their, their intimate knowing of him as a person that led them to have so much faith, to take such bold risks for their faith. Compared to them, Packer says we can only be seen as nervous or timid or guarded or risk-free, safety-first Christians. And I don't think any of us get up in the morning and make a, a conscious choice, sorry about that, to, to not follow Christ with all of our hearts and all of our lives. I certainly don't get up and just say, I'm going to take today off, you know. But what Packer says happens is that it comes out of a lack of familiarity with him. So in the same way that the early Christians got to spend time with Jesus and, and know him over, over meals and through the everyday movements of life so we can know Christ in a deep and just as true of a way. Christ says it's blessed if, if somebody doesn't see him and yet still believes. He says it's better that he goes away so that we would have the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would reveal Christ to us. And so it takes a very conscious decision every single day to, to move closer and closer to Christ. To increase our, our familiarity with Him. To increase our relationship with Him as we would with anyone else. And Packer finishes by saying, Do we fear that God lacks strength or wisdom for fulfilling His declared purposes? Do we fear that He is infirm of purpose and that as good folks with good intentions sometimes let down their friends so our God may ferry to carry out his good intentions toward us. Have you been holding back from a risky, costly course to which you know in your heart God has called you? Hold back no longer. Your God is faithful to you and he is powerful for you. You will never need more than he can supply and what he supplies, both materially and spiritually, will always be enough for the present. And so my prayer for, for us and my prayer for myself and my prayer for all the churches is that we would know Christ, that we would know his power. 
and that we would know him in such a deep and a, and a transforming way that our lives would, would not only become like the lives of the early Christians, but our lives would become like Christ. That we would build lives that, that require his power, that depend on his power, to where if God's power doesn't show up, then everything will completely fall apart. Because we need the power of God. We need it to, to move toward one another, to reject our, our fear of being hurt by others or become overcommitted or, or to, to, to trust too much in other people. We need the power of God to do life together as a church. We need the power of God to move towards uh, those outside the faith, to move towards the poor and the needy. But the power of God also enables us to identify with anybody because we remember who we were apart from God's power. We know what it's like to be rejected, to be dependent on others, to be poor in spirit. We need the power of God to move towards humility, knowing well that a Christ-like life will lead us to not only rejection, but to giving up a selfish ambition, to, to let go of the ego and the desire for self-protection. We need the power of God to move towards generosity because it's only through trusting God more than the, the things of this world. I don't know why that's happening. Spiritual warfare, as always. It's always at the end. Persevere, brother. Persevere. We need the power of God for generosity. Everything in the world says that we are who we are because of what we have, what we can show, what we can do, how we can perform, what we can put on display for other people. Only the power of God working deep within us can say, I, I have enough. I have all that I need. I don't need all the extra approval. I don't need all the extra possessions. I don't need all those, those things that can be taken away, you know, all the externals because I have the internal the one thing that matters. We need the power of God to move towards evangelism, to continue these relationships with those who are far from the Lord. Like any other relationship, these relationships aren't easy and they require patience. They require initiative. They require taking bold risks and sharing our faith because we really believe that this is true. And that apart from Christ, no one spends any time with the Lord. They don't spend eternity with God. But instead, they spend an eternity in a horrible way. We need the power of God to believe that, that even our words can play a role in changing the life of somebody outside the faith. We need a life utterly dependent on the power of God. Romans 8 is a great question for us to finish with. Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Think about this God and his, his power on display throughout the history of redemption. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give up all things? Let's pray.